every web needs a change. <laughs> We're just not sure what James needs. It's good to be back with you all. Last week, we were uh, Ann and I were away at a treat. I had the opportunity to speak. I actually spoke six, six separate times over the weekend. And uh, I kept looking around for the first treat so I could get the retreat. Uh, that's the jokes, folks. <laughs> it's really good to be back. I, I told the Sunday school class this morning, there's certain things that make me smile, one of which is my wife, almost always. <laughs> she makes me smile. I look at her and I smile. Uh, and um, and you guys make me smile. I just love you. There's nothing else I can say about it. Just love you, love being here, love part, being a part of what God's doing. And that addition out there makes me smile. Every time I look at it, I just can't help myself, you know. And it's been interesting this week. Uh, you know, they got a lot of work done out there. You know, it came in uh, at the beginning of the week, and there was nothing on the roof, right? The walls were up. And then the next thing you know, those trusses were going up, and they've got the uh, plywood on. It's just really moving along. But then the last couple of days they were there, nothing much was happening. It seemed like they were all out there working and hammering and making noise and stuff, so much so that Jim, uh, that Jim one day just said, I've had enough, and he went home to do study for the rest of it. But you didn't see very much going on. And that's the way it is sometimes in our life as Christians, right? Sometimes we can see lots of things happen, right? We see the... the advances we're making and see the things that God is doing in our life, but a lot of the things are kind of behind the scenes stuff where God is working inside of it, just like in that building where they're putting up nailers and, and supports and braces and that kind of stuff. All has to happen. And when God's at work in our lives, sometimes in visible ways and other times in ways that we don't see. But one of the things he does is every time we gather together as is doing something special. Scripture tells us that he is building us together into a house where his spirit can dwell. I don't know all that that means, but I know that something happens and I get more than I bargained for when I come here. So I'm glad to be here, glad to see you, glad to smile because I see you. But I'm even more glad that the living God is here and in our midst. So our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, and a really famous passage of scripture. Uh, I've read it a number of times, but it, it comes back to me over and over again, uh, and it's appropriate for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and then, he's, uh, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, 
You know, all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the fields, and the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands. Would you pray with me now, please? Father, we do uh, come to you again today asking that, um, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had already to uh, turn our attention to you, you know. We, get, we come from different places, different things on our minds, and we gather in this building and you draw our attention to yourself through the music and, and through the different forms of ministry that happen here. And then you allow us to enter your presence through the preaching of your word. And Lord, we, uh, we anticipate that. We look forward to what you're going to say to us. Word is eternal. It is forever. It's sure, and we can rely on it. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us. And Father, I ask that you would allow me to disappear behind the cross of Jesus Christ. That he and he alone would be exalted in our midst rock and our redeemer and it's in his name that we pray amen so I uh, have something that I want to talk to you about today that has become uh, really an important part of my thought life and really more significantly an important part of my prayer life uh, it's something that for a long time now I know that God has been wanting me to address, and I think that uh, the time is right for me to do that. I have to tell you uh, again, uh, if you've been coming here any length of time, and maybe this is the first time you've heard me say this, but I really believe, I genuinely believe, that when I stand before you to speak, that God uses His Word communicate his message to you and also to me. And, and it's not at all that I'm anything special. I want you to understand that. It simply really is uh, because of God's calling on my life, and it is true for all other pastors. We simply are tools in his hand. And if anything at all good happens here, it's really because God uh, brings it about. But all of us here, at least most of us here, who have put our faith in the living God believe that this God who spoke the world into existence still speaks today. And when he speaks, we, we want to hear. And we want to embrace what he says to us. And we want to learn how to put that into practice. And what I have to share with you today is really a rather simple idea. And we're going to try and we're going to look at just one verse and we'll try to understand what it means to us. And we're going to try to understand how we can put that uh, into practice uh, in seeing what it teaches. And I have to tell you what my concern is today is that you're not going to hear me out. My concern is, is that as soon as I tell you what this topic is, that you're going to think it really doesn't apply to you. And, and, and then you may stop listening. 
and that would really bother me if you did that. I, I think if you listen, if you stay with me to the end, you're going to begin to see why this matters to you personally. And if you get to the end and you think, that still doesn't apply to me, you come tell me that, I'll, I'll be happy to know that you just listened all the way through, even if you disagree with me. And, you know, you, you probably heard this, uh, this uh, term, compassion overload, or something similar to it. And the idea that's communicated there is that it's something like this. It's, it's we can see so many pictures of needy people, and we can hear their sad stories and learn of their awful plight, and, and then we feel kind of overwhelmed and powerless by it. We realize we, we can't meet all those needs that we see, and, and the few needs that we address, we we can do so little for him. It's almost like it's too little, too late. And, and so we become overloaded. We kind of become paralyzed. We, we can't act because anything we do really seems almost useless to us. And, and what's worse is, is that we begin, when that happens, to turn our back on the pictures. And, and, and then, therefore, we begin to turn our back on the needs. And, and we turn our back on the people who have those needs. I have to tell you, I know that feeling from the inside out. I know that feeling of not being able to bear seeing one more picture of some hurting little child. It's flashed in front of me on a television screen or I see printed in a magazine or some other venue. And I know that the charities who are looking for help, they're looking for your donation, they're looking for your money. I know they use those pictures to motivate you to give. But I have to ask you, can you blame them? I mean, if they're real, I know they're a trickster, don't they? But if they really care and if they're really trying, can you blame them for trying to motivate you to give? I mean, if you were doing that, wouldn't you do the very same thing? And yet, we get overloaded by those things. Now, if you know what I mean and what I'm talking about here, if you had your heart wrenched and almost broken by such things, I want to tell you I have a little bit of good news for you. But I also want to tell you I want to add one more important thing to your compassion list, if I can put it that way. I want to talk to you about a need that really is close to the heart of God, and he wants all of us to personally embrace it, but I'm going to also tell you how we embrace it and uh, how we can help that need and how we can use that same kind of tool when we uh, are faced with those other things that we've been talking about, those things that tug at our heart and threaten to overwhelm us. So I want to invite you to join me, please, once again in the Word of God in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. Finish studying that. We're going to turn back to it again, to chapter 13 and verse 3. Uh, uh, you can turn in your Bible, or you can look at the uh, the text up on the screen here. So, so that's one verse that we're looking at today. That's all we're going to do, and, and I'm going to begin simply by reading it, and then we're going to try to unpack it, and we're going to try to get all of the good that we can out of this verse. So we read there. Continue to remember those in prison, as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were mistreated. A simple verse. Let's try to understand a little better. And we're going to begin with the very first word there. It says, continue. 
So the people to whom this author is writing already had this particular quality that he was writing about. They were to continue in it. And if you were to turn back a couple chapters, you don't need to do that. Uh, I, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to read it to you. But to chapter 10, uh, uh, verse uh, 32 and following, uh, you'd see that um, that they had already gone through this. It's come by this this quality very naturally because they had themselves been through it. He says this, remember those early days after you received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times uh, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a more lasting and better possession. You see, they had themselves already endured this thing, and so it was natural for them to be concerned about other people who were going through that same thing. But we haven't. You understand that? We haven't. We haven't gone through this thing, and we have to be honest and say that we don't have that quality in us. Uh, I have to acknowledge it and say that. Um, uh, it, it's not something that has come to us naturally, but I think we need to have that quality in us. And I'm going to talk about why we should and how to develop it. And if in the end of this, again, our time together, you think it's worthwhile and a quality to have, uh, you'll be glad that you're here and you're listening. Because I want you to notice that although this quality that he's talking about came to them naturally, they, they had that quality uh, they could lose it. You see, they were told that they had to continue in it. They had to maintain this quality. And that means that, that to do that, it's an act of their will. And therefore, with God's help, it can also be an act of our will. We can attain that same quality, at least to some degree. Even if we haven't suffered as these people, we can attain that same quality. And I think that you probably already know what I'm talking about, but I really need to state it very clearly to you. The quality that God wants us to have in our hearts is really a genuine concern for our brothers and sisters, Christians, men and women and children who are undergoing persecution. That's exactly what it means when it says what it says here, uh, remember those who are in prison and those who are being mistreated. I have to tell you something. I know, having said that, having read this passage, I know that that feels discontented. You know, you may even be thinking that I'm inventing a problem. You may be sitting there thinking, well, I have needs. And you're not addressing those. You're talking about people of another time or another place on the other side of the world somewhere. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking there are problems closer to our home that we should be talking about or should be talking about. Or maybe you're even sitting there thinking, well, just how bad a problem is it anyway? Uh, I mean, isn't this persecution you're talking about something that happened a long time ago? Well, I'm going to address that last thing first. And I, I know I've told you this before, but I need to tell you again. Some of you don't know this. The 20th century, which is a century we just finished 14 years ago, or however years ago, 
like a sense of God, which most of us spent most of our life in. In that century, more people died for the Christian faith than in the previous 19 centuries combined. And the 21st century is on track to keep that same pace. So it's really not something that only happened a long time ago, but it is happening many, many times every single day. And I want you to know, I don't want to ignore those other issues in your life or in our world. I just want to put this on our map. It's important, and maybe it's more important than we realize. See, there's this quality that God wants in the life of his children that, uh, that we should have a concern. We, our heart ought to care about his children, our brothers and sisters in the faith who are suffering in other parts of the world. And he really wants us then to become personal to us, and he were to identify with them. Even if we even if we don't know the people, we're to identify them. And again, in verse 3 again, it says this, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. See, we're to identify with them. We're to make this personal as we can. And I think this, too, is an act of the will, and it can be a matter of meaning. So how, how do we do that? How, how do we identify with them? Well, one of the things we could do is we could simply imagine what it would be like if we, if you or I, were in that situation where we were being persecuted. You can imagine you live in Sudan, where we're Christians, and we live in the northern part of the country, where the government is Muslim. And they attack you, and they burn your churches down, and they burn your houses. Or maybe you could imagine what it would be like if your children were in the downtown. Those children who are kidnapped so that they could be raised in another religion. Those children who are raped, who are maimed, who are tortured, who are beaten, who are stolen. Maybe you could imagine that and try to identify with that somehow. Maybe we can become aware of people from our own country who are living in places like that and putting themselves at risk. My cousin Steve Casper at Woodland Baptist Church just outside of of, um, Philadelphia. He has two daughters, one married and one who isn't. They're serving in India. One of those daughters can't tell us exactly where she is because she travels in regions where her life is at risk all the time. People die in India all the time because they're Christians. So maybe you could identify with people like that, or like the POTS that we were a part of in Illinois, commissioning to them. They went to Josh, Nigeria, which is in riots, and Christians are being attacked openly in that area. We can read about those who who are in, in our own day suffering for the faith. Maybe you've heard about Miriam Imrahan. I don't know if you have. She hasn't hit the news very much. And here's a woman who has married uh, an American citizen. She was raised by her mother as a Christian, though her father was a Muslim. She's in jail right now and has been for months. She just delivered her second baby in jail. She's been condemned to death for apostasy. 
they're going to give her a hundred lashes before they put her to death. The babies are with her in prison, and the conditions are absolutely deplorable. And they're not going to release them to the father who may take care of their children. That, that kind of thing happens all over our world today. And, and after you read something like that, after you're aware of that, you can begin trying to imagine all over again what it would be like if you were in that position. And after all of that, if you can't identify with your heart, if you're honest, still isn't moved, then you, you can still still develop this quality as you obey God and love Him and seek to obey Him. And we are, after all, not led by feelings, but by faith. And what about the Scripture that we opened up and began our time with? Whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done to me. Have you never thought about Jesus walking up Golgotha and Jesus just sort of comes up for him. Have you ever of doing it for someone? And maybe there's one more thing that might help us to realize uh, what the plight of some people is, and that's to think about how quickly things can change in our own situation. I have to tell you, a number of years ago, we were out in Illinois. I'd watched the Soviet Union just kind of unwind like a ball of twine, you know? And I'd always thought that it was going to fall. How could it stand, right? I never thought I'd see it in my day. I tell you, I honestly did not. I thought maybe my children would see it. Maybe my grandchildren would see it. But all of a sudden, when it became, uh, began unwinding, it just kind of just fell apart. And I realized something. I realized the same thing could happen to our country, to our many of us look and we see things happen and we wonder, is this the beginning of the end for us as a country? And how fast it changed. Even ten years ago, not one of us here would have imagined that our government would require people to violate their conscience and their religious beliefs in order to maintain some law that they passed. I don't know, not many of you may be aware of it because the news media doesn't report these things, but there's a baker, a family bakery in New Mexico who would serve homosexuals, but they would not make a wedding cake because they couldn't be a part of that because it violated their faith. They were taken to court. It went all the way to the New Mexico Supreme Court, which ruled and said, well, you got to put your Christian beliefs on the side if you're going to live in our and the United States Supreme Court has refused to hear it. Who would have thought that we'd have a federal law requiring me or any employer or anyone to provide abortion materials and abortion to the people that work there? And here we are. I don't want to see that happen. It can unravel faster than we would. And then what God wants, he wants his people to identify with him, to be concerned with his children who are being persecuted, wherever that may be happening. And actually, I want to tell you something. I, I, I want to be a little clearer than 
prophecy. No. Verse 3 says, continue to remember. And I, I want to tell you first what this remembering doesn't mean. See, see, it doesn't mean, it's not a passive actor idea. It doesn't mean remembering it as a fact that you could uh, state or write down on a piece of paper. It's not, it's not simply a piece of knowledge, something that you know, like, like the dates of the Civil War, who the 16th president of the United States was. It's not even the echo of something in the past. It's remembering calls for action on our part. And so if we could, if we were near those people, we would go and we would visit them in prison. We, we, would, we would bring them into our homes when they lost theirs. We would feed them when they couldn't work and feed themselves. We would help them to look for their children when they've been kidnapped. We cried over them. We sorrowed over them. If we were near, we could do all those things. As we remember, we would try to act. But but we're not we're not there at least at least not yet not to any great degree. We're not near them. So how do you how do you remember those people? Well, I'm going to start with the thing that's furthest away and the least important in some ways. And I, let me say this: we, we can vote. Let me say it: we can vote, not our party, but. God expects us to do our part. So God can use that and that kind of thing to advance his kingdom. I don't think we ought to rely on it. I think it's a mistake that we do, but I think we do our part in it. And then maybe we can advocate uh, for those who are suffering. So so there's this... this email that I get regularly is called I Commit to Pray, and it's put out by the Voice of the Martyrs. And if you don't have that magazine, I'd recommend you get it. It's absolutely free. And it'll tell you things that are happening. And every few days or so, I get a, a prayer request. And maybe there's one request on it. Maybe there's three. Maybe there's five. And it's different people in different parts of the world who are suffering for their faith. And, and they just want us to pray. And so you can do that. You can pray. That's what I do. But sometimes there's a a petition you can sign in. There's a petition right now for this woman that I just told you about. And there's a bill in our Congress, whether you've heard of it or not, to try to come to this aid and to support it. And so sometimes you can do that. But I have to tell you, by far the most important and powerful thing that you can do is you can pray. I know you hear that, and you've heard it from me, but I want to tell you there is nothing more powerful, nothing better than See, prayer, first off, is personal. Even when you don't know the person, there's a sense in when you grow to love them. You'll, Tuesday night, we've been meeting for three years now, I think, for our Tuesday night prayer meeting. And during that time, we have prayed for some people that entire three years. And some of them I don't know. But I have to tell you, I feel like I do know them, and I feel like I love them. If I'd see them, heart would turn right to them. It's personal. And when you begin praying for people you don't even know, something happens inside your own heart and it becomes very personal and you begin to love them. And I have to tell you, I think prayer, it, it, it touches people. And, and I'm going to explain this to you. I, I think it's so powerful when you understand it. But you know, we communicate in different ways, right? And 
So I illustrate this sometimes when talking to people. So so one way we communicate is through touch, right? So I can walk up and put my arm on my wife's shoulder and I pat her or something and communicate to her. And then we can communicate like I'm doing right now with you talking, right? And we, we, we share ideas and thoughts. But there's another way in which we can communicate spiritually. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, uh, I think I've maybe told you this before, this guy who worked with me, this part-time job I had. Every time I saw this guy, I'd say hello to him and he'd just kind of grunt at me. He's a Christian, he's even joking, right? One day I thought to myself, next time he does that, I'm going to lay into him. I'm going to tell him what I think. And then like the Lord said to me, no, I don't do that. I just want you to love him. Next time, I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. Next time I saw him, I didn't do anything at all different, but I had in my mind that I'm going to love this guy. And I said, hey, Fred, how you doing? And he stopped and he turned around and he came back and he began talking to me. We touch people spiritually through our words. We, we're turning to God and praying for someone. And somehow he takes that, he glorifies it. alongside of God and work together with Him. You see, it operates over whatever distance. It doesn't matter how far someone is away from you when you pray for them. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter the time of day. When you're praying for them, it operates over distance. And it can't be stopped by the enemy. You know, you can't get into some of these countries to preach the gospel or you have to get in there and do like my cousin's daughter and sneak in and put your life at risk to talk. But you know what? They cannot. The devil and all of his cohorts cannot stop you from praying. And let me say something just as an aside. Those people that you want to share the faith with who will not listen to you, they may say, don't talk to me. They may not accept a single good thing you want to do for them, but they can't stop you. Doesn't matter, and you don't have to know really what the situation is. You don't have to know what's happening to them. Because I pray for the persecuted church every day, and you know all I know to pray. All I know to pray, unless I see specific things, I say, Lord, stand beside those who are suffering and their families, and strengthen them. Let them know you're there. Let them know your peace. Make them real salt and light in our world. That's interesting. One of the men who works at Martyrs was talking to some of those who are suffering in North Korea. I don't know how, if you know how bad the situation is for Christians there. But they are absolutely trying to eradicate every single Christian there. And he said, how do we pray for them? You know what that man's response was? You pray for us? <laughs> we pray for you. Because we know what it's like to have to rely on God's word. How do you not pray for people like that? When you pray for them, it's, it's, it's more powerful than any other act of kindness or love or anything else. It operates spiritually. Get this idea in my mind that maybe you pray for someone and they take a burden off of you. I hope 
Not only does it matter to them, it matters to you. I've already mentioned how your heart changes and how you begin to love him. It makes you more like Christ because he prayed. And when God begins to guide you, he begins to speak to you. He begins to show you maybe other ways that you can help. Maybe he shows you where you can give him money. And that's really how you deal with all those items of compassion that we were talking about before. Picture comes on the television, how can I go off? Turn it in prayer. Pray for it. Nothing else, pray for it right then. And then maybe what'll happen is God will have you add that to your prayer list. And maybe he'll even have you to do something more to serve in some manner. To give you money. Who knows what might be. When you do that. Trust him. He's going to guide you. He'll take care of all the rest. Whatever it is you can do, however little much, however little it might seem, however much it might cost. If you know God is at work and he's guiding you, and if you pray, I think that's what God wants in our hearts. I've got it compassion. That table right there represents it. You know, we talk about this uh, when we come to the table, how whether you're a member of this congregation or not, as long as you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to eat this because this represents the Lord's table. That's the communion of all the saints, right? And in a sense, not only people who don't belong here, but people all over the world also part of this table. We just don't see them. That's another reason why we pray for our brothers and sisters. We're going to sit down and meal with them when we close. They don't want to know that. In the meantime, we have this little symbolic thing we have. So we invite you, whether you're a member of this church or not, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to eat and drink with us. Unless you have unconfessed sin in your heart or an animosity between you and another Christian that you haven't tried at least to rectify. And if you're not a Christian, then we ask you to let the bread and cup pass you by. Also, nobody's going to draw attention to it. Nobody will tell me about it. We don't want an excuse, but this is a meal for someone who put their faith in Otherwise, uh, we really do want to invite you to eat with us and drink with us. So I'd like to ask the men who are going to help me to serve uh, if they come forward right now. So our custom is we're going to serve the bread, and we'll hold the bread until all are served, and we eat together, and then we do the same. One of the things that we like to do is just invite you for the next just few moments, if you would, to close your eyes and bow your head. And just ask God to remind you of anything that you might need to deal with or allow him to help you deal with. Maybe it's to confess some sin that you have or, or to tell him you're sorry for something you've done uh, to someone else or, or even to pray for someone else. And, and then just after a little bit, I'm going to ask uh, my brother, 
this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As our brother Frank will give thanks to the Father. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink 